Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. Uh, with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. I'm like really struggling through that right now. I like almost forgot it mid-sentence. Um, but anyway, it's the first main episode of 2023, I think, right? Mm, is that true? Did I don't I know. just say Happy New Year? For, we haven't, have we? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Who knows? I could have looked it up, you know but what? I didn't. You know what? Let's just, let's pretend it is You know for what? A this is the first 158th episode That's of Print right. Run we This done. is the very first 158th episode of Print Run Podcast. Um, <laughs> we're here as your humble hosts, and we are going to talk about some fun things today. Um, before we get to what I think is an interesting prompt that Laura has already promised she hates, um, <laughs> um, a prompt that I love personally, but um, how about the basic rundown, huh? Absolutely. So we have a lot of fun stuff happening over on Patreon, if you are not aware. Um, we Every month we do query shows and first pages shows where real listeners send us their queries and their first pages. And we break them down together and separately um, to talk about what could be improved, how to optimize it for how agents read these documents. Um, And it's a lot of fun. Plus, we've been picking back up on our special like special topic, mini-sode, flexisode kind of things. We just did one. We just released one. Um, about intellectual property or work for hire writing, Mm -hmm. which is pretty fun. So, like, if you are listening to this and you want more, like, writer biz action, head on over there. And as always, if you cannot afford to become a member of Patreon, send us an email. We'll give you free access. We're trying to get you the goods. Yeah. Um, No questions asked. I would also say uh, there is brand new queries and first pages up we are on it this year it's a new year it's a new us i hate it when you say that (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah no it's patreon's hopping right now uh so check it out but laura yes would you like to hear what we're discussing today yes would you like me to outline it up for you yes today's prompt that i have given laura because we were going to do like a new year's thing and that felt really boring so instead I thought, okay, here's what we're doing. Something that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. We are going to ask each other to select three to five books. And I here and I have four pulled up. I don't know how many you have. But secret. <laughs> and the idea is to pick books that have shaped or defined your publishing life or career up to this point. Yes. And that may sound vague and the point is that it's vague that could that criteria could be anything you want and so basically laura i am fascinated to learn very soon here which books over the years and we've now both been somehow working and publishing i feel like i crossed my 10-year anniversary this last fall yeah include my first internship was in 2011 which is so terrifying i am i don't even know what to think of that um but We've been in the business now, I wouldn't say a long time, but we've been in it for a little while. And that means, like any publishing career, you can sort of tell it through books. And that can be books you've worked on. It can be books you read and loved. It can be books you hated. Um, I I have a book I hated. Honestly. Yeah, me too. And everybody's uh, going to be so mad at me about it. But <laughs> the point is, 
we're going to kind of get into particular titles that ended up having really outsized influence on the work we do in one way, shape, or form or another. Um, and I'm excited to get into it. So my next question for you, Laura, is would you like to go first? No. You're making me go first? Yes. Okay, <laughs> just real quick. Uh-huh. The, <laughs> the reason that I hate this prompt, yeah. I think it's a very good prompt, and I think it's very worthwhile. But, like... I I draw a deep and we've talked about this on the on the podcast before but I draw a very deep and distinct line separately through like books that matter to me as a reader and yeah. books that I work on and do um and so having like to have feelings ab- about books and kind of reflect on it in terms of my career just makes me deeply uncomfortable because also I am like a book gremlin when it mm. comes to my personal yep. reading and my personal library yep. and like the, the the map of meaning. Yep. Uh so the map of meaning. Yeah. We're getting the maps of meaning. Yeah, folks. I know. Uh, I know. But it makes me very uncomfortable, but I'm still gonna do it and it's gonna be very worthwhile. And I actually like learned a lot about myself during this exercise, but I don't like having feelings. So there we go. So I guess the one <laughs> the one qualifier I will put on my list here. Um, and I thought very carefully about this, of whether I wanted to do it or not. And Maybe let's do like a one for one. Yeah, we'll go back and okay. forth. We're going to go back and forth. Okay. But I haven't picked anything that I, from any writer I represent as an agent. Oh. Um, and that's just because all those books obviously are influential to me. They are things I think about all the time. That list would be very – it would be a different sort of list, and I wouldn't want any client or anyone to think that – you, you see what I'm saying. Like, the point is, you know, all those books are, it's almost like a subcategory to me because they matter to the existing work I'm doing now. So, a lot of these are things outside my specific mode of representation. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, I don't know. It's, it's not that those books weren't influential. In fact, they were obviously incredibly so. And a lot of the different books I've worked on have. You know, they alter your course, right? Like, they, you do that, one thing. When and you, you were putting together your new manuscript wish list for the website, you just kept listing your author books. And I'm like, Eric, you have to get rid <laughs> that's of That's actually what I was thinking about. It's like, because <laughs> like, I just, though, that's how I, we think in terms of what we, you know, have done, you know. And so it's actually very difficult for me to not just list everything I work on as an agent just because that's where my head is all day, you know, yeah. but well, I'm going to try to not do that. But I was like, Eric, this is not helpful. Yeah. You got to like, you got to have other books <laughs> other than the ones that you've helped yeah. like um, bring into this world. <laughs> so without further ado, my first book yeah. um, that I have listed here, and it's actually a very specific edition of a very famous book that for me basically made me want to be in publishing and made me know that this is what I need to be doing in this in any sort of professional sense this was the only sort of work that I cared about mm-hmm. um, there is a paperback edition uh, from HarperCollins of The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay um, which classic novel Michael Chabon um, if you have not read You're it such a Michael Chabon fanboy I am a fanboy but and it's not this is not actually my favorite book of his as most of you probably know because I don't shut up about the other one but um (laughs) this specific edition of this specific book and in fact this specific paperback line was just so it's just so special to me and the the artistry of it from everything from 
the cover to the paper stock to the the french flaps to the it just i i looked at that object and this and i think the object part is really key here Mm. and this was a two so this edition from what i can tell here on amazon it syncs up with my memory it published in 2012 at the beginning of 2012 which so at that point i am at the end of college Mm -hmm. um or about to graduate right and i'm thinking about okay what do i do next what's the thing and this book and there's a slew of others in this vein too but i've sort of picked this one as the one that i thought of first you know in terms of books as books that made me think oh other than loving the writing in here and i do love the writing in here i think this is a wonderful book but the bookmaking here and the positioning of it and the what you're trying to say and the sense you're trying to instill in not just a reader but like a consumer picking this up like i mean I, it's hard to describe the cover here and i'll post it after we this episode comes out so that people can see what we're talking about but like all of the bookmaking considerations you know and i'm talking about like the note at the end about the typescript you know what i mean there's these things that just felt like such like decisions made by people at a publishing house, not just a writer. Because at that point, I think I mostly thought of myself as a writer. Mm. You know, in college, like you, everyone's, you're a reader and a writer, right? Like you don't think of yourself as a worker in that, like in a field that in you a have, worker to make a product in a field that yeah. you haven't entered yet. You know, but that that this is the sort of book that really opened my imagination. I think to man, it would rule to be in the cover discussion for that book or man I would love to be the one like making the choices about what size of paperback or what sort of um you know the other the other one that comes to mind is there was a very specific I mean it's a classic cover at this point I think but the paperback cover of the of Freedom by Franzen I know leave me alone but (laughs) that cover has that cover has a bird on it and the bird has sort of a an eye that's raised, you know, like you can feel it, you know, it's kind of glossy. And I just remember like standing there, like feeling that being like, what a fucking awesome choice to just like add this little detail that no one really needed or wanted. But like someone said, you know what we should do here? We should add a little something. And that kind of stuff, it just got me fired up. And it actually for a minute made me think, oh, I should be in production mm. because. Oh, you would be good at production. You're very anal. <laughs> well, the pro- <laughs> okay. Well, um, here's the, the the reason I wouldn't be good at production is because my visual artistic skills and sensibility is absolute shit. Sure. Um, so, but I like could you're not- good at a spreadsheet. But yeah, I yeah. love looking at this stuff. But I have no like I would be terrible at making these decisions. I just love thinking about them though. And this was just a book that it felt like because the novel itself, and I, then I'll I'll shut up. But the novel itself is such a big, sprawling, wonder-inducing thing. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, man, they nailed the cover, too. The cover makes me feel that as well. And it's that is a series of decisions made by people around this book who wanted to bring it to people in a way that would get someone who hasn't read it before to pick it up and all this stuff. And it just got me thinking, like, man, that's the kind of stuff I want to be... That's the stuff I want to be thinking about for my job. And that's you know i mean that was that it was like okay i gotta go i gotta go get some publishing experience because this is this is all i want to be doing all day you know that's also a big deal that it was a paperback because you're a hardcover boy i am but this paperback is so beautiful you know i'm a paperback 
person if the paperback doesn't feel like a secondary format. Sure. Like if they, you can design one hell of a paperback these days, and this is always the first one in this series of all of his um, in this cover style. I just love that kind of stuff. I mm. love, I don't know, it's that's the kind of work. I'm like, I feel like at that around this time, I was like, I was like reading Umberto Eco, who writes a lot about like, a lot of his characters are like in publishing and they're doing all this old timey book stuff. And I was like, oh man, I got to get into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm immediately breaking the rules. Break the rules. Fire yeah. it off. So jumping off of yours, uh-huh. I want to highlight the the selection that I made yeah. that made me. What rules did you break? There's no the, rules. Just, just wait. You're going to hate it. Um, the, okay. <laughs> that made me aware of like publishing as a function. Because I think like a really easy thing would me would be like pointing to the books that I helped find pictures for for the nonfiction yeah. publisher I interned at when yeah, you know yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. in college, whatever. That's not it. Um the the thing that first made me aware of like publishing as a business was not an individual book, but was rather a first reckon like like the first time I recognized an imprint. Mm-hmm. So, oh, there's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah. So when I was like, 12, I became an imprint boy around 2012. I was a real snob about this yeah. shit. Okay, so yeah. when I was 12, I think you know 2002. Um, Sharon November, who was a very incredible and is still incredible, very longtime children's editor at Random House, uh, got an imprint called Firebird. Mm-hmm. And there's like this beautiful phoenix head um, like logo. And I think it only went for like five years. Sure. But that five years was like long enough for me to be reading like just have that like seared children's in your <laughs> like fantasy. And a lot uh-huh. of it were like collections and it uh-huh. was a lot of like Diana Wynne Jones and like Megan Whalen Turner and and like Garth Nix and Charles DeLint and like you know like it was these were the books that I was already buying because of course like the YA section wasn't that big and I was you yeah. know like yeah. a little too young to be dipping my foot into like the adult science fiction and fantasy but sure. that was all I wanted to read was sure. science fiction and fantasy sure. and then this imprint came out where I knew like if I bought if I saw a new book that had the phoenix mm-hmm. on the on the spine. That was for you. I just it was for me. It was for me, and I and so like we're recording in my basement where I have like a lot of my like heart books out. Yeah. And I just like stood before we recorded this, and I just looked, and I found like a ton of Firebird books. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like so, it's not an individual book, but it was the first time. Where I had an inkling that these books didn't just like appear from like they yeah. like somebody made it f- and that somebody applied to me and like, you the that, see that's the part that's really interesting to me about this is you the consumer had a relationship not just to the book but to the publisher to, yeah which right now feels actually kind of rare like yeah. I would be interested I mean people in the industry and probably people who listen to this show they probably have some. Th- preformed thoughts on imprints they like and books they like they're probably more attentive to the publisher on the spine of the book Mm -hmm. than the average book buying consumer right but i am interested in how pervasive that is you know because at this point yeah i'm the same way where i love like 
that's more interesting to me than anything. There um, are there are a lot of imp- like I, I shouldn't say yeah. that there are a lot of imprints I still have relationships with. There are a few imprints that yeah. I have relationships yeah. with, but it's also hard because those imprints that I have relationships with, I'm working with and I know the editors yes. now. So it's like it's hard to say how much of that is like industry yeah. knowledge and yeah. how much of it is that the imprint has done a good job of building right. an identity in the same way where like this was a relatively small imprint. They did a lot of collections. They did a lot of like reissues in paperback. Like this was not like a, a hugely full fledged yeah. like brand new undertaking for brand new books. But it was the one that I saw and it was the one that I like knew. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, and that's that's really powerful. And that's pow- that's something that anyone in a number of different fields would tell you is powerful, right? Yeah. Like having a brand relationship that you relate to in that way. I mean, it's every <laughs> it's every company's dream, right? Like yeah. you want to be instilling that sort of sense, but I feel like publishing is really light on that most of the time, honestly. Like it's people recognize author names, right? They mm-hmm. recognize even series titles. But the idea of loving the publisher, I think, is rare. And I feel like a lot of the people who end up loving the publisher end up in publishing. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have the experience that you did or I did with this first book, you know? Yeah. So my second one is – so on the timeline of my publishing existence, this is a couple of years later. And it's at my first job that I worked on this book. This is one that I did work on as – um, I was an editorial assistant mm-hmm. at the time. And then I think I got promoted in the middle of working on this. So I was an assistant editor for a minute on it, too. But um, the juxtaposition, I hope, is very stark, um, is what I'm going for here. But this book is called How Snakes Work, Structure, Function, and Behavior of the World's Snakes, Illustrated Edition. So I was going to – I was like – I thought it was going to be a bird book. <laughs> It basically is a bird book um, in the all the ways you're thinking where it's like this big, beautiful, giant trim. Um, you know, it's this it's a book about I mean, the title is extremely descriptive, which is why we went with it. Um, <laughs> like it's a it's like a, you know, a reptile book. Right. Like it's one that specifically you, snakes. It's about, you know, the physiology and zoology and ecology of snakes. And it's. Um, written by, you know, the preeminent snake guy down at the University of Florida. And, like, it's... Of course he's in it's, Florida. It's this, like, really detailed but very beautifully, very lavishly illustrated, uh-huh. like, a lot of photographs, a lot of drawings. Like, it's this big book that has absolutely nothing to do with anything I was interested in in terms of publishing up to that point. Right? Like, I just told you, I wanted to be literary wonder inducer guy mm. right and now i get my first job it's snakes. And, and i get my you know you go where you can get the job right and i worked my my first editorial assistant job in publishing was at oxford university press and their room they had me on was the science list right and this was it and so i am just i could not have been further away in interest or caring about mm. this book. And on top of that, this was a pain in the ass. I mean, it's, I mean, just think for a second. I mean, this, I don't remember how many illustrations are specifically in this, but like many per page. And were you all doing the them, index in house? All of them needed permissions. The index was in house. The, 
Um, you know, the layouts were something that the author was constantly going back and forth with, you know, like, and this was all stuff that I was really, I mean, anyone who works in publishing knows that the editorial assistant does way more than their job description, right? And so, like, I was trying to handle a ton of stuff on a book that just felt so unwieldy to me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even just, like, physically. Like, we would go to these production meetings, and there would just be these giant spreads of things. And I'm like, I don't know about any of this. I don't care about any of this. There's no, why am I working on this? Have I made a giant mistake with my life? And, but it was one of those projects, one that taught me that you can learn something from any book you have your hands on, you know what I mean? Like, in, just in terms of how this industry works, in terms of what skills you're developing while working on stuff, and, like, when people when people ask, like, what should, how do I get into publishing? What should I do? Like, how do I... What if I only find a spot at a place that has nothing to do with my interests? This is always the first book I think of, and mostly what I come away thinking is, yeah, I learned a hell of a lot about that. I learned a ton about author management, in terms of like having a rapport with someone so that you can actually handle a complex task with a ton of preferences without everyone breaking into a fight. I like, had a book like that on Border Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And this, it was so crazy because like, this was not, I worked on a lot of reptile books, Laura. I, w- I became- I love a reptile. Mr. Reptile book. I, I did a book on, I did a field guide to the reptiles of Thailand. Mm. I did- the birds of North America. Oh, you got a bird I, book? I did. Good. Um, all this kind of stuff. But, like, it's, man, it was just one of those things where I think because it was so far from my own personal interests, it forced me to just see it as an object. This is a, this is some paper that needs to be pushed, and I am the assistant, and it is my job to just mm. make this stuff happen so that I can get it off my desk and go home. And... I mean, along the way, obviously, like, you kind of become endeared to anything you work on that heavily, right? But, like, it's (laughs) – it was a slog, but it was a slog that, like, taught me a lot, not only just, like, core skills around the industry, whether that was seeking permissions from various museums and, you know, universities for different images or, you know, figuring out how – you know, figuring out page counts and words per page and all this different stuff that – needed to be figured out in order to publish something like this appropriately and make it work cost-wise. See, I mean, the other thing about publishing a book like this is that the first time you set up a budget for it, you're horrified because it's so big and there's so many costs involved. And, of course, it's for color. So, like, I mean, it's a nightmare to look yeah. at. You have to, like, really do some work with price point and all this kind of stuff. And this is an expensive book in the end. But, like, it, you end up thinking... The other thing about price point, too, and then I'll turn it over to you, but, like, who's reading this book? What are they going to pay for it? Like, who's – and, like, there were just so many interesting publishing conversations that went into this book between me and the editor I was working for and our other departments and all these places, you know, in-house that it was like a crash course in everything, you know, about mm-hmm. making a book. And I think – if it had been something like if I had my first job had been in like a literary novel, you know, publisher, I'm not sure I probably would have just like soaked in that glow as opposed to actually like learning something about how any of this stuff works, you know, and which so, means that you are now 
like negotiating in the contract level for a lot of these things that you know yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it, it, it just it it really kind of changed, and it also made me less precious. You know, like I think it's really important just on a personal level to do work. You know, on you know books and things that where you sort of take your ego out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like this is not. I mean, it is a cool book for many, many people, but to me at the time, 22-year-old Eric, not a cool book. Was not proud to be working on this book. Did not want to talk to people about it. Did not want to call my mom and say, hey, guess what I'm working on? Like, it was, you know, it was work. And it was, it helped me kind of detach feeling from task, you know, and that that's a really helpful skill, I think, so. Yeah, try being an American who is working on finding the appropriate stock photography for border gardens, which we do not have in this country. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of fun. Um, What's that next? Is, that is not actually, so you're talking about getting your ego out of it. Yeah. My next selection is actually the book that like gave me an ego. I can't wait to yeah. hear about how this is like the villain <laughs> origin story at this point. Let's hear it. So... You know, like I, I, you know, you start usually really young in this industry because you're young enough to know that you're to not know that you're being like horribly, horribly exploited. And, yeah. you know, that's that's how they get you. Right. Right. Um, but one of the early books that I worked on was um, a book that maybe many of you have read or heard of. Um, but it's An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon. Yeah. And I love this book. It's a wonderful book, but I also had a really, really, really hard time selling it. And I was a very, very, very new agent mm-hmm. at a small agency, mm-hmm. and I submitted it to all the big places, and nobody wanted it because it was, like, too queer or too black or, you know, like, too, you know, not too literary to yeah. be science fiction and too science fiction, whatever. Point mm-hmm. is... Um, I finally founded a home with a small press, mm-hmm. and it did fucking great. Yeah, it blew up. And yeah, and so the like none of this is the story. The story is that when the author was up for an award and I was at a big conference, um, I had a couple of the big, the big like the publishers of the big five yeah. imprints that I submitted it to and said no. I had one of them come up to me and like apologize for not taking it. <laughs> and I think that this is like this was <laughs> God that feels good. And it oh, was like it felt man. good from like a, you know, yeah. from from an emotional standpoint, yeah. but it was yeah. also like a moment that I returned to because you're you know, especially as an agent, you are constantly kind of floating alone mm-hmm. right like you have to take on a book very early you see its potential you have to believe that not only will other professionals in this business like it but that readers will like it yep. and that is like that like requires a lot of faith in your own taste yeah and especially like when you're 23 and you're very new and you're working with all these people who like you were fangirling over like three months ago Mm -hmm. as a reader there is 
like you need to build up that confidence where you go, no, 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 I can find the book. Absolutely. And that was the instance where like not only had I found the book and like, you know, could like use my royalty checks to be like, oh, yay, like I can actually pay my rent. Like, haha, I got you. But more than that, it was that I had more experienced professionals in the industry know that they made a mistake. Yeah. And I think that like I return to that moment when I am like writing a pitch and I don't want to like brag or, you know, like when I'm feeling like, oh, do I send it to the like assistant editor or do I send it to the senior editor? But the senior editor is going to be a better fit. But the assistant editor probably has more time and and like investment. And it's like, well, you send it to the best fit. But like you have to like when you're very, very new in this business, like it does take guts to send it to the publisher the of people. an imprint yeah. than um, yeah. than somebody who's like on the same level as you. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that particular book is <laughs> the moment. Yeah. Like I've had other moments like this where I'm just like, you know, oh, right. Like I'm actually like good at this and have nice taste. But that is the first moment and kind of like the biggest, clearest moment for me. Yeah. No, I think that's. When I think of stuff you've done, this is some. I feel like I have, I experienced this story alongside you and think, yeah, yeah that was that was a cool Laura moment. Like this was a really good job. And like, it was needed. Yeah. You know, like it. I was at a stage where I'd been doing yeah. it long enough. Yeah. Where like I needed it. Right. Um, no, I, I hear you. Um, that's that's a really good pick for this. Um, all right. So this next one now does get into. Um, like my current work sensibility and thinking about this isn't a book that I worked on but it's a book that was published one by a place that I work with and and know well but it's also like I work in nonfiction, right which is about the broadest thing you can call a book Mm -hmm. Um, and I work in creative nonfiction and politics and history and you know also uh, snakes yeah exactly um other forms of you know humanities based criticism and commentary and things like that and the thing with these categories laura is that they sort of swirl around and so many of the books i work on end up feeling like on any given day you could classify them a different way within these buckets right like mm-hmm. one day something is personal essays the next day it's political commentary and it's all the same book right like and it's you're like playing with these levers of especially like the fundamental question that I have with nearly every author I work with on books like the on books like the one I'm about to describe is how how much are you in it as a character on the page, right? Mm-hmm. Because so many essayists and so many nonfiction writers, they get into their own work, you know what I mean? Especially in the looser essay forms where it's trying to be a little more arty. Like you do see the author experiencing things in real time on the page, or you see them discussing their own experiences in regard to the broader thing beyond them that they're talking about, right? And it's this fundamental question of like, is this memoir Does it have memoir elements? Does it have these different things? You know, how do we put together, how do we basically take all the sliders and get them to the right levels in a way that will make this appealing to people? And, you know, that those sorts of considerations. 
And I feel like for a long time I had some really mechanical and formulaic ways I thought about that. And then the collected schizophrenia is published mm. from Grey Wolf, um, the author. I'm sure you know her, Esme Wang. Um, this book is, you know, it's a, I don't even know what to really call it, honestly. I mean, it's personal essays, but it's also a discussion of, you know, various mental health considerations. It's an art, you know, it has, it's all the things I just described, right? Like, it's this very influential, like, personal book the author's in there but it's also a like it says so many things beyond you know she herself you know and it's a really I would recommend it to anyone I think it's a really wonderful book um but do you ever have and I'm sure you have experience like this Laura where a book that you love comes along and it just ruins your work life yes. because suddenly everyone thinks they're writing that book yeah. <laughs> my next one fits that category too in a few minutes. But like this book did some very good things for me as a reader trying to understand my own work, right? Like I have no connection work wise to this book whatsoever, but I read it and immediately was pulling things. Okay, here's the way we can think about, you know, these different proposals I'm pitching. And I can tell you that I use this book as a guiding light in a lot of development of other proposals and things like that. And, you know, that ended up selling and really ended up getting me somewhere, you know what I mean? And the other thing this book did, and I, you know, I'm looking at the Amazon page now, and I think, so it says the pub date, you know, February 2019. And I would say since that date, um, the amount of times this book appears as a phrase in my inbox or my query manager page or as a comp title or whatever, it's one of the highest frequency ones. The other one that we'll get to in a minute is number one. But it's this book, ever, suddenly everyone thought they were writing The Collected Schizophrenia. <laughs> and it's because I really think like the answer for that is the term essays at the yeah. end. And so because essays mean something different to every single person. And I... I have a few clients who uh, teach the essay at, like, colleges. You know, they're writing professors, and they get very mad when people define essays in all these different ways. And But this was sort of the book that, in a really positive way, demonstrated how beautiful and unique and freeform, you know, the form can be. It showed its potential, right? But then it also made everyone think they were doing something that they weren't and yeah. suddenly I was editing what felt like against this book all the time so I love it I like I have nothing but positive things to say about this specific book I will say it made my job very difficult for <laughs> many years because suddenly everyone thought that this is what they were doing or in the vein of and you weren't like I mean it was just it was such a unique project that just got so many people fired up but yeah is it time to talk about the books that we hate are you I, are you going for it I, yeah I, no. okay so it's sort of a love hate <laughs> with this book i don't hate anything about the book itself i hate what it did to my inbox sure um but yeah no go for it what do you okay hate? tell me what you hate laura we'll do an episode <laughs> where i just tee that up at the beginning and you can just go for however long you'd like so i'm gonna preface this by saying that i don't typically like talking about books that i don't like because uh I'm so most excited. of them have have very good uh good things about them and uh -huh. it's just a personal taste thing uh -huh. 
<sighs> okay. So this is this is an example of a book that I didn't finish in my own life because the experience of reading it was like pulling teeth. Um, specifically, this is a book that was ruined for me because the narrator of the audiobook was very bad. <laughs> um, and I <laughs> and yes, okay. and so I am speaking specifically of Uprooted by mm. Naomi Novik, mm. which is a very, very, very well-selling book. And it's another one where like later on, I was like, okay, it was just the narrator. Like, yeah. I can't hate this book. No. And then I tried to read it in print, but like I could still hear the voice. <laughs> yeah. And I and I and I noped oh, out of it again. Oh, and there's just something about it where I just like I hate it. And it yeah. is not the book's fault. And so here's here's the thing about why it's I think it's important. Is because on paper, there is no reason why I shouldn't go absolutely feral for this book. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's got a lot of like folktale and fairy tale tropes that mm -hmm. are twisted. It's got um, really good sexual tension. It has a like Eastern European Russian setting, um, which like I'm an Ashkenazi Jew and like I grew up yeah. with a lot of like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's that's like a, a culture specifically that is like very familiar and very comfortable to me. Um, like there is no reason why I shouldn't love this book and I fucking hate it. And <laughs> and so very correctly, oh, like this is a very yeah. like popular, popular book. Right. Yeah. Um, and I so I see it in my inbox all the time as a comp mm -hmm. and. I've had to do this thing where, like, I've – I think maybe this book more than any book has, like, established that big line between books I like as readers and, and like, books that are valuable to me as an agent. Yes. Um, where I've had to go, okay, the reason I know people are comping this book is because their book has similar elements. And I like the elements. I just hate the book. Yeah. Um, so it's actually become sort it's of, like, a, a helpful yeah, thing right. to get right. in – in a query, mm -hmm. even though, like, I have nothing but disdain for it. Even though it. the thing itself drives you nuts. Yeah. Insane. Right. And, like, yeah. to be clear, like, I am coming into this full well that, like, this is not the book specifically fault. Like, this is, like, yeah. a production yeah. error that yeah. is, like, poisoned everything. Right. Um, and, like, maybe in, like, a year or two I will give it another shot or I'll, or I will read um, her like deadly education series, which mm. is different and like won't have that voice in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, but like that, <laughs> that's where I've had to be like, the books are like books are books as, as things that like appeal to like your heart and your brain and all of that stuff. But then they're also just like component parts that we work in to sort of talk in, um, shorthand about other things that we don't have the whole reference. Industry. Yeah, yeah, and so like that's that's been a really really interesting experience for me to be like I fucking hate this book, but ooh, it's comped to it. I probably yeah. want to look at this manuscript. Right. right. It feels weird. It doesn't make any sense. But that is that was a really valuable lesson for me. I think. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense, and I do think you know I have books too that. You know, that I have maybe personal, you know, that I dislike, but when I see them in my inbox as a comp, it's like, okay, this person is in 
the right sphere. I can see why they would maybe query me because this is the sort of thing that got me to pick it up in the first place. You right. know what I mean? Like the, the thing about that book is you did read it. And that's actually really powerful because there's something that like you pick, like knowing that you picked you were interested in that and picked it up. Yeah. Is all anyone needs to know. Yeah. Because that's what. That's a like, really good point. You know what I mean? Like they want to know that it drew you in somehow. And that 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 alone is worth comping to it because and that I think is also true a bunch about a bunch of you know novels and things that you know maybe I didn't personally love. But it's like, OK, I see what they're going for here. I can see. It's like you're saying a lot of the elements that they're comping to, mm-hmm. I would on paper really like, even if in terms of the execution on maybe, you know, in that specific project didn't land for me. I get what they're doing, you know. So I don't know. It's weird trying to figure out what we like and don't like in relation to trying to actually do any work. So my last one is, I should state stay up top, a book I love. Um, it's a book that I love who published it because it came from a small press. I love its radical sensibility. I love that it has politics in it that often do not quite get a fair shake in um, this industry. But And I love the way, I mean, the other thing I'll say about it is I love the way it was published because it took that, I think, very radical argument and packaged it in a way that felt nice and friendly for all the NPR liberals and, like, it was a very, very deft job, and it became a smash hit that then turned around and, once again, became the phrase that was repeated over and over and over again in my inbox, and not even just in my inbox, but from the authors I'm working with. Like, everyone wants to write a version of How to Do Nothing, mm. Um which, and so the whole title here, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. Uh, the author is Jenny O'Dell. Um, I love this book. I've talked about it a lot online, I think. I know that I have listed it in places as something I would love to see versions of. I can tell you that I have versions of it in my own way, like on my list right now that we're working on. But like this book, if the collected schizophrenias was one that sort of made people think they were doing something or, you know, sort of augmented the way people saw a certain form as it related to marketability in a book. This one is, like, the current version of that. Like, this is the one (laughs) happening right this second, and it's also one that feels just so perfectly... Like, so this was published in late 2020, and... I don't know. That's so much more you, recent than it's like taking you, up space in my head. Do you remember late 2020? I mean, we were in a pandemic, you know what I mean? Like this is this was the time when a lot of people were doing nothing, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> it was this book of like it was just this what I really love about it. And if you haven't read it, I it's short, it's beautiful, it's radical, like it's very obvious. I think like Obama put it on his like reading list when like I am not the first one to recommend this book to you. I understand that, but it is really good. Um, But it made a very – it's sort of subtle in there, I think, but it makes a very kind of – like I said, a very radical and frankly very leftist argument about like how to use your time, what your time is worth, like how to like push back against being commodified at every turn, all these different things, right, that I think are really powerful. But the thing it did that – 
feels to me like the the thing that I am constantly trying to find now in any project that I'm looking for, and I'm always thinking about this one, is how intimately and specifically it put a name and a label on just an absolute constant ambient feeling we all have. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a book that finally gave a vocabulary and a distillation of that feeling that we're all constantly, like, not using our time well enough or not doing quite the right thing at the right time or is this a valuable use, even that phrase, is this a valuable use of my time? Is that we're already talking about, you know, time as, you know, the the time money continuum that we are all subject to the hustle you know, hustle that yeah. just that has is like in our bones at this point right like it's so hard to th- see ourselves and our actions outside of this framework and what this book did is it named that you know what i mean and it said this is not a natural state of being this is what it is you know like this is here is the name of the phenomenon that you that has existed right outside your vocabulary for all this time for so many people and it's I just love that because there's so many of those little things and you know there's so many different parts of our lives especially I would say since the pandemic that like they're just little traits of modern life now that they just they're so constant and they're so continuous that we sort of treat them as givens but they're not givens they're things that can be named and discussed and unpacked and I just, in terms of my work, books that do that, books that say, hey, here's this thing that everyone is feeling, and here's how we're going to actually pull it out and stick it under a microscope and take a look at it. Like, that is a very rare thing to do. Everyone thinks they're doing it now, is the thing, largely because of this book. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a very rare thing, and I am extremely, so many of the books that I'm working on, you know, early this year. I'm really excited about because they're starting to kind of they're trying to do a version of that in a way that I find very exciting, you know, and so like I mean the other the other thing you know the reason I think this book so apart from influencing what I'm looking for and what I've been looking for and how I you know edit projects and how I evaluate proposals all of which I'm constantly thinking about all the ways this one succeeded. I mean it's also it's like I said it's a small press book. This was a Melville House book. Um, we love a Melville house. We do. And it's, I don't know, like that, the idea, like when I get up in the morning and I'm feeling bad about publishing and there's a lot to be, to feel bad about in publishing <laughs> every now and then, um, the idea that a place like Melville house, a very good press, but a small press could take a book with fairly radical politics and sell it like the way that it sold this one. I find that heartening, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I find that that's what that's what I'm chasing, you know? And I know, um, you know, the woman who was the agent on this, you know, I feel like I'm constantly, you know, telling her, like, this is amazing. Like, what an amazing, you know, and it's, it's always so great, you know, to hear, you know, her experiences working on this. And, like, it's, I don't know. It's, like, to me, this is my neck of the woods at its best. It's and I am very... Capturing- something that now you can look for but is like hard to put into like a manuscript wish list yeah because it's not a topic it's not in anything no, it's, it's just... a and i don't want to call it a vibe because i hate that it's a vibe but because it's more specific and it's more exacting and there was a lot yeah. more work that went into making this than a vibe but 
I don't know. It's just this is the sort of book, and there are a few of them. I mean, this is not the only one like this, but like this is the most popular and influential of the books mm. that I just kind of see as like pillars in the type of stuff that I end up working on. Mm. It has definitely affected like the arc of the stuff I work on and the course of you know sales and who I'm like. You know, you find books that you don't work on, and they change who you are and what you end up doing, and they alter your course a little bit. And this is this is one of those. There are a lot of those, but this is mm. one of them. You know. Yeah. My last book last is not one. at all related to the sure. the topic you just touched on. Um, so, kind of offline, Eric and I talk a lot about like the books we've lost out on when there are multiple offers from agents, yes. and we're kind of like. We're playing the game. We are putting ourselves out there and we yep. are not chosen. Yep. And that's always a bummer. And like sometimes we see the success of those books or the not success of those books and we go like I could have done, you know, better or I could have done that or something like that. That is not the type of book that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the book where I had the option to fight for it and I didn't because I didn't see Mm -hmm. a really strong vision for it and it doesn't it has nothing to do with how much I enjoyed reading the book because right. I enjoyed the hell out of it um, but I just didn't like see it it didn't feel like I was the best for that mm -hmm. um, and the book I'm talking about is um, Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse okay. um, and like you know great book and she's an incredible writer and has gone on to do lots of lots and lots of other books and win tons of awards and this book won awards um but the point is is like this is the first one that i kind of bowed out of competing for right. that did incredibly well yeah and i think like it's really really easy to go oh well i made a mistake because I could have made money or I could have been successful with this particular project. Um, and I think just as at the very beginning of this discussion, I was talking about how, you know, I needed to have big ego to like sell the books that I want. And I have really yeah. good taste. It's equally true to have enough like self-awareness and humility to look at a project and say, I am not the best for this. To understand your effective range. And to understand yeah. that that is still true when yeah. the book does yeah. well. Right. And exactly. like that, and that's the hardest exactly. part, right? Is exactly. like when you see the money and you see the, yeah. right. you're like, well, I could have done that. And it's like, I couldn't have. I yeah. couldn't have. And you, Or you would have in a different way. I mean, it's so many of these things, like it's not just subbing in and subbing out names on the agent line. You right. know what I mean? Like the book would have, I don't know, there's just so many different ways this stuff ends up going if you change any one number one of the factors yeah and i think it's really important as an agent like the one thing that i ask myself every single project i look at or work on or anything is like can i say in good faith that i'm the one that should be selling this yeah and sometimes the answer is no and more and more lately i have told people i'm like i think this is great i can't wait to read it i'm not the one for this i don't mm -hmm. think that i can do the best job and my I trade like the thing the thing that's really good about that decision, Laura, is that at the end of the day, all that you and I have to work with is like our track record and our reputations. Mm -hmm. Right. And that involves making sure that you stand by your choices and that you, you know, do a good job with what you ask for. 
you know, and what you do, what you take on to work on. And so, like, any moment where you say, ooh, I'm not the right one, it's actually really important to say then it's not for me because it might mean you don't do as good of a job or yeah. you don't do – and then it's maintaining my identity and brand yeah. as an agent just as much as signing absolutely a new thing. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. And I, I think that's a really important lesson. And it's yeah. it's good. I think it's wise, and it's yeah. good to learn that. And, and this happens like all the time. Yeah. Like I say yeah. no to books all yeah. the time that end up selling. And but like this one in particular is just the first one where I did that, and it did super well. And. Like, I think the really important part of it is that, like, I had a I had a chance to sort of, like, be cranky about it and sort of rewrite my own history. But I but I think, like, the really important moment from it is that it's still true. Yeah. Even if it becomes a bestseller. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like like even if the author blows up, even if something happens like the truth in that moment when there's multiple offers on the table and you're deciding whether or not to compete. That is still true. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the last one. It's a very good book. You should read everything that she writes. But like, which is also still true, even though and a wonderful I'm thing not the to right just agent. reclaim your space as a reader. Too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine to just say, I'm a huge fan of this person and I would not be the best one to work on their stuff. You yeah. Know I mean? Which, which, you know, like is something maybe we should do like a mini episode on that particular feeling. Yeah. From us, because it, it's something that, like, when we tell authors that, a lot of authors can kind of take that or feel it like it's a cop-out. Yeah. And it's yeah. really not. It's not, though. And it's, it's actually pretty important that people say that because the inverse is people who sign way too much stuff and are way outside their range and then end up not doing a very good job. And yeah. that's so, worse for everyone. Yeah. So, so if you do want to kind of hear more, have us spend a little bit more time on that um let us know if that is something that of interest that's of interest we can record something separately um but we're gonna leave it at that now you have office hours coming up i do have office hours uh which by the time you're listening to this they will all have already have happened racing yeah it's been print run morning over yeah it's been a print run morning but um if you don't know uh we do office hours once a month where Eric has an hour and I have an hour where we just like have an open Zoom mm-hmm. that is free to anybody where you can come on and listen or or ask questions um, and we record them and we do put the recordings behind the paywall. Yep. Um, but again, like, you know, if you can't access it, just like let it like if you can't afford it. Just let us know. No questions asked. But um, we're going to be heading into that and posting the recordings of this month's office hours and we're going to be doing it again next month. Mm-hmm. So if that sounds like fun or you have questions based on this episode or any others send it to us we're at printroompodcast at gmail.com and come hang out in office hours absolutely all right bye everyone bye